0: Morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, Chris did a good job of reading that, didn't he? Absolutely outstanding. Reminded me a bit of of listening to the football results. Um, And that put me in mind of the fact that about 18 months ago, a woman called Charlotte Green was chosen to be the first ever female voice to read out the BBC Classified football results on a Saturday afternoon. She replaced the instantly recognisable voice of James Alexander Gordon, who'd been doing it for 30 years. And on that first afternoon that Charlotte read those results, she was introduced by Mark Chapman, and she began as though she'd been doing it all her life. Barclays Premier League. Aston Villa 3, Manchester City 2. Fulham 1, Cardiff City 2 etc. Now, I'm a realist. I know that by the mere mention of the phrase football results, I'll have run the risk of losing 25% of my audience in the first 30 seconds. The keen anticipation that we all feel at the beginning of a sermon may have already been replaced by a glazed expression, so apologies for that. You see, the BBC football results have a similar impact. Some tune in on the radios in the deserts of Mongolia or the rainforests of the Amazon just to hear those kind of words spoken. Yet others turn the radios off much closer to home. For some, the football results are crucial to their weekend temperament. For others, an obscure irrelevance. So Chris did a great job, thank you Chris, of reading those first 17 verses of Matthew's Gospel this morning. It's not easy. I'd love to hear Charlotte Green read them. I think there are a few similarities, you see. Because for Matthew's readers at that time, who were Jews making their mind up about Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, his genealogy, his family tree, was absolutely crucial. So they would have been hanging on every twist and turn of that story that we were read by Chris. Yet, when we as modern readers listen to it, we have to face it. It's a difficult beginning to an important book. It sounds like a very boring start. Names that sound difficult, unknown, many of them. A glazed expression, 17 verses in. But if we dig a little deeper, which I hope we'll do this morning, we can hear also, which is quite remarkable, the female voice. In Jesus' background, louder than ever before, for five women are named amidst that line of men. What I'm going to do this morning, with your help, is to try and answer two questions. Why did this genealogy matter then, and why does it matter now? And if we can walk out of here at the beginning of the Christmas build-up with something of our own to hold on to, relating to those two questions, we'll have spent our time well. So, we begin. Why did that list matter then? Well, these days, if we had someone who was laying a claim to become the leader of of a political party that we cared about, we'd want to know their experience, qualities, opinions on the topics of the day, climate change, you know, EU, housing, education, NHS, that sort of thing. If we were living in Oslo and someone laid claim for the succession to become the king of Norway, we'd want to know whether they had the birthright to do so. And then additionally, whether they could head our nation with decency, credibility, promote national and international values that were important to us. If you're a first-century Jew, then the claims of someone to be the Messiah, which is claimed in verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel, God's anointed one, in other words would need to be proven against a couple of things. Firstly, that this was the one who'd always been promised by God through the prophets, and that this was the man anointed by God as Abraham and David had been, to which Matthew added a criteria of his own, that this Messiah was not only the one anointed by God to prosper Israel, but to prosper the whole world. Now, these days, if you and I are going for the top job, we need a very good CV, don't we? Matthew presents Jesus as having the perfect CV for the role of Messiah in all the ways the Jewish nation expects, but in other God-ordained ways too. Matthew's claim is that Jesus is the climax of everything that has been that God had been doing for humankind since the beginning since Abraham and he does this by pointing to Jesus as the end of that genealogical line that began with Abraham in those days you know all the records of family descent were kept in the equivalent of Westminster called the Sanhedrin, by the Jewish authorities. And they were the means of proving that we were who we claimed to be. And Matthew points out that Jesus' line traces all the way back to Abraham and God's promises that Abraham would be the father of a huge nation, blessed by God and blessing all other nations in turn. So Jesus' link to Abraham is a massive tick, that he is related to the root of God's promise. More than that, Matthew draws attention in a big way to Jesus' links with David, God's king of Israel. Another massive tick that he is related and in the line of God's anointed king. In fact, the layout of the 17 verses we heard by Matthew is divided into verses headed by Abraham, verses headed by David, verses that take us to the exile to Babylon, and the restoration of Israel, and fulfillment in Jesus. It's divided into those chunks, and it was written to be memorized, believe it or not. The Jews at that time would memorize that, those lines, and it was written as an acrostic, which means that the first letters of every line spelt out the name David, David, In Hebrew, the numerical equivalent of the name David is 14. And so 14 names are mentioned in each of the chunks. You get the idea. Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham's promise, of David's anointing. Jesus comes as Messiah, God's chosen one. Now, not all lines in our family trees, are straight. Some are crooked, and Matthew doesn't hold back in showing the crooked lines. In fact, he makes a virtue of them. It's not odd for us to see women in the list. But to the Jewish listener, it was startling. A woman in those days, after all, had no legal rights, no property, no status. Effectively, the property of her husband, So having women in the line of the Messiah had huge shock value, particularly in the choice of women. Five of them are named, Tamar, Rahab, Uriah's wife, that's Bathsheba, Ruth, Mary. Perhaps five of the most controversial women in the Bible. Adulterer, prostitute, one seduced by King David, Moabites, in other words, not a Jew at all. And a virgin, an unmarried mother. If Matthew had presented us with a club sandwich made of perfectly formed bread in Abraham, David, and Jesus, then the filling is not at all what we might have expected. So why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just stick to the respectable view? Well, because Matthew wanted to do more Than show Jesus as the fulfillment. He wanted to show Jesus as one who'd chosen to be part of our world, our crooked lines as well as the straight ones, the potential of people in history and us now to change and reform, sins not hidden away. It's like Matthew's telling us that Jesus the Messiah is also in the business of breaking down barriers. Barriers between those perceived as sinful and those seen as righteous. Barriers between the inner and outer circles, who's in, who's out. Everybody's in. Barriers between genders, barriers between Jew and Gentile are all broken down in that list we heard. And Jesus is the result, the fulfillment. Now, that's an exciting prospect. By divine appointment, we are given one who knows our human struggles and is part of them. More than that, who chose to be amongst them. One who doesn't discriminate, but includes everybody. That is a perfect CV I would maintain and Matthew maintains from Messiah right there in the opening seventeen verses. So, why does this genealogy, if it mattered then, why does it matter today? Well, all of our family trees must be full of characters and stories to inspire shame laugh with? Why don't we just, for a moment, turn to our neighbour right now and just share one thing that's either interesting or that we know about our own family tree. Just for a minute, for a bit of fun. Good. Well, I, I wonder what that uncovered for you. Mary's family tree was a lot more worthy than mine. Perhaps your family tree is largely unknown to you beyond a generation or two, or perhaps you've researched it well. My dad looked at mine back to 1670 and wrote it down. Long line of Northumbrian peasants, followed by an equally long line of Tyneside shipworkers and foremen with a brief interlude of two generations in Derbyshire. But some colourful characters too. My great-grandfather Billy, who was the landlord of the Black Bull in Sunderland, who died falling down the stairs blind drunk one Saturday night. And my son Tom's maternal great-grandmother, who ran away from Port Isaac in Cornwall with her love child, an illicit uh, daughter, and headed for London, and ended up in Tolworth, of all places. (laughs) That was bad luck, wasn't it? (laughs) My point is that all of our lines, if we look hard enough are pretty crooked. And that's a good thing of which to be reminded. In fact, Paul does that in Romans 3. He says, our righteousness comes from faith in Jesus Christ and to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The point is, we're all sinners. All of our lines are crooked somewhere. But equally, in faith, all lines are made straight by Jesus Christ. He's not just the Messiah of the Jews in antiquity, but our Messiah now, through faith, through Jesus. We become like a tree which is, again, reaching for sunlight, rain and drainage, and helping us grow towards God in that type of way. So the genealogy reminds us today that as humans we have crooked lines, but when we commit to Christ as our Messiah, they're made straight by his saving power on the cross. There's another reason why I think it's important to understand the genealogy today. And that's that my roots, your roots, don't just move us towards Jesus. Our roots also intertwine with each other's. You and I find our roots intertwining with each other's as our trees reach towards the same light, and we create shade for each other too. Now, it's hard, I know, by extension, sometimes to see ourselves as connected in a family tree with one another, but... That is what we are by faith. That means, and that is why we care for each other, why we might wish contentment and peace for each other, why we share stories, joys and tribulations. And we're connected not only to each other, but with those descendants of Jesus that we heard listed. Those who, us like us, have our roots in him, with whom we share no bloodline, but a common faith in God and a shared heritage and understanding of his movement in the world. So the reasons this genealogy matters today is that our imperfections don't exclude us from being part of God's family. And it reminds us that we're connected by faith to each other, those who went before, and to Jesus himself. Just to finish off, I want to remind you as we draw close to the end of this year what our verse for 2015 has been. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. In that simple verse that we have studied and remembered from time to time during this year from 1 John chapter 3, we hear again of the love and grace that sent Jesus to be our saviour. We hear again of the child of God's status that you and I share and that forms our connection with the family of Christ. So this Christmas, one of the things that can give us pleasure is to give thanks and to celebrate those things. For unto us a child is born.